You're listening to The Lid Is On. I'm Connor Lennon. This week we bring you the fifth in our mini-series, Humanitarian Leadership Stories, produced in collaboration with the UN Humanitarian Office, OCHA. On this episode, Daniel Johnson from UN News speaks to veteran UN Humanitarian Coordinator Imran Riza on remaining impartial in emergencies. Welcome to this podcast, UN Humanitarian Leadership Stories in Their Own Words. Fascinating insight from aid chiefs helping people with acute needs in some of the most challenging and dangerous places in the world. I'm your host, Daniel Johnson, and in today's episode, we'll be going behind the scenes with the UN's top aid officials in Burkina Faso, Syria, South Sudan and Libya. We're going to find out just how relevant the humanitarian principles of humanity, neutrality, impartiality and independence are to the work of these frontline responders. Syria has to be one of the most politicized situations. So we also have to be very careful and very sure that we are remaining independent that we are remaining neutral, that we are remaining impartial, and that we're carrying out our mission you know, with that central element of humanity in it. I could remember when high-level government interlocutors were asking me quite difficult questions. Edward, are you telling us to be independent and to be neutral while our country is being more or less taken over by terrorists. You know, it took some time to explain the real intent of those principles, how those principles are unique to us as humanitarian workers and how we use those principles to address issues of vulnerability and to reach those that really need the assistance. Imran Riza and Edward Callan experienced top UN aid coordinators on how doing no harm, regardless of people's nationality, race, gender, religion or politics, are all key humanitarian values, along with not taking sides, giving priority to the most urgent cases of distress, saving lives and respecting human dignity. This was recognized in a landmark United Nations General Assembly resolution in 1991, which set out that humanitarian action must be provided in accordance with the humanitarian principles of humanity, neutrality, impartiality and independence. These principles guide the work of aid teams, and they are central to establishing and maintaining safe access to affected people. In emergencies today, the UN's relief chief relies on international humanitarian law to establish and maintain aid access across front lines, and to remind warring sides that civilians, schools, hospitals and houses must not be targeted. Part 1. Humanitarian Principles in Practice Burkina Faso, a landlocked West African country that until recently was considered a model of peaceful existence. But since 2018, an armed conflict in the north and increasing competition between herders and farmers that's linked to climate change have created a massive humanitarian crisis in the wider Sahel. And it's proving difficult to resolve, never mind the impact of Covid. Enter Metsi Maketa the UN's former top aid official in the country. It was her job to coordinate the work of the UN country team in Burkina Faso, which includes around 20 UN specialised bodies, funds and programmes. 
Let's hear what humanitarian principles she held on to in what was an unstable and increasingly violent context. The country right now is experiencing the fastest displacement and protection crisis, such that sometimes, and rather often, using um, the normal routes becomes dangerous for both the communities and ourselves. And we have uh, areas where there are um, improvised explosive devices. This is the reason, given our commitment to stay and deliver, that we continue to use our assets, such as our humanitarian air services, to be able to reach people where we are. In addition to that, we are continuing dialogue with communities and um, ensuring that there's community engagement and everybody understands why we need to reach people where they are and how humanitarian assistance is provided to the most in need. In doing so, we are keeping front and center the dignity of the people that need the assistance the most. We do need to bring other partners to the table. Despite the real dangers of working in parts of Burkina Faso, it's more important than ever that humanitarians understand exactly what people's needs are. Apart from getting enough food and water every day, families want other things too, like long-term security and dignity. Hope even. Here's Metsi Makeda again. What do people affected by crisis want? The loudest message that we hear, which is the first, is that people want peace. They want to be able to go back to their villages and live normal lives like you and I. Families want to till their lands, and mothers want a future for their young girls. A most recent visit we had in the Central North, one of the young girls came to me and told me that she would love for us to make sure that we are speaking with the elders in the community, that they allow her to be able to go to school. And that is what we continue to do by providing emergency support on the education side, but also making sure that we're working with all the partners to create conditions such that the young girls can go to school and families beyond the humanitarian response can have pathways for sustainable action going forward. So the, how do I explain to the authorities what neutrality means for operations and what it means for the humanitarian community to reach people where they are. Here's what happens. The authorities are keenly aware that they are targeted. They also are aware that we are here to support them to reach the people where they are. So my message is often very clear. We are committed to making a difference by ensuring that everybody who needs assistance in the areas we can reach does get the assistance. And for us to do so, militarized escorts are not an option. As soon as we get militarized escorts, we become targets as well, and we won't be able to provide the support that is needed by the communities, and that allows us, as humanitarian actors, to support government in its efforts. Part two, A is for advocate, S is for Syria. 
to Syria now, where the humanitarian context is just as complicated when it comes to getting desperately needed assistance from Damascus to the last opposition-held enclaves in the country that's been ripped apart by more than a decade of war. For Imran Riza, the UN resident coordinator and humanitarian coordinator in Syria, one of the main problems is holding the line on humanitarian neutrality and putting the people who are most at risk first. That's no easy task when your aid operation is at the mercy of international geopolitics. In a camp like Al-Hol, which is the largest camp in Syria, you have close to 70,000 people, vast majority, 90% of whom are women and children. And of course you have Syrian internally displaced persons as well. We end up doing a lot of you know, what we call band-aid sort of interventions, trying to assist people in what is essentially a miserable situation to be able to have some basics in that. And given that there are so many children, obviously education is a priority there. One of the challenges of the operation right now here is how do we do cross-line operations, especially in the Northeast and the Northwest. On, at one level, it's about negotiating access over there. But also, when I come and speak to the government, the many discussions I have with interlocutors here, one of the refrains, constant refrains, is that you, the UN, and the international community as a whole, you pay a lot of attention to the Northeast and to the Northwest, these areas that are not under government control, and you're not doing enough in other areas where the majority of the population, in fact, is. I go back to them and show them the statistics as well, the operations that we have, and show that we're taking a very balanced approach in how we are approaching Basically based, you know, having the center of gravity of what we're doing, the focus of what we're doing is basically the people in need and what the level, the severity of the needs are and where those are. And as long as we can always demonstrate that and focus on that, I think that's really the key, whether it's from the government perspective and different interests or perceptions they might have, or also from certain member states, certain donors, who would prefer that we're acting and focusing on maybe perhaps some other groups. So we are a bit, you know, between a rock and a hard place over here in terms of how we're going ahead. But if we keep the basic principles of humanitarian action at the core of what we're doing and at the center of our discourse, our dialogue, I think that's extremely important. Part three, humanitarianism means engaging with everyone. From Syria to South Sudan, where people's needs are no less important or urgent. The latest UN Human Rights Council report into the country described a dire situation, with an astonishing number of weapons that have been fueling localized violence by community-based militias. Given how much violence South Sudan has seen and continues to see, I wanted to know how UN aid coordinators manage to work with non-state armed groups to access the most vulnerable people in hard-to-reach places. Over to Alan Nudahu, the UN's former top aid coordinator in the country. Yeah, there was a time here in 2017 where there was still active conflict everywhere. And most of the time that I spent at the beginning as a humanitarian coordinator was also trying to negotiate access with non-state armed groups. Some of them are not organized, but they have 
weapons and they were taking people hostage or really detaining people for days. And we spent a lot of time actually engaging with them to try and to tell them that they have to respect international humanitarian law, but also find a way to get our colleague actually released and all that. Now that have changed a little bit since the peace agreement was signed. What we are facing now, which is much more difficult to deal with, is that we have a rising level of banditry in the country. So just as I speak to you now, I think about two days ago, there was about three boats on the Nile River getting food from Bo to Melut. That convoy of boats two days ago got attacked. It got attacked to the point where three of the people who were leading the boat got injured. One is still missing, presumed dead. And then one of the boats pretty much sank into the river and we lost all the supply. So to build trust or to gain trust, if I should say, it's important that you are transparent in the way that you are working. When we plan our activities, we are not doing it because we just want to have a project. We're doing it because we know that this group of people will benefit from it. And we do it because we want to make sure this country can recover properly. In 2017, the suspicion could be that because there was many different parts fighting each other, the thing was that maybe you were going to support that side against us. So at that time, it was clear to make sure that if you have people who are in need of assistance who are linked to that particular faction, you provide the assistance on a need basis. And if you have also people who require assistance in the other faction, you make sure that you provide the assistance on a need basis. So it's not overnight that you can go and because you are humanitarian coordinator, people automatically believe and trust you. You have to get there because they will have to see you as a trustworthy partner with which they want to engage. Part four, conflict and interests. Complicated as the situation is in South Sudan, it is definitely no easier in Libya where the overthrow of President Muammar Gaddafi in 2011 led to years of bloody conflict that have critically damaged the rule of law, respect for people's rights and their well-being. In this kind of situation, it's the role of the UN aid coordinator to remind those in power that humanitarian principles matter. As I heard from former UN resident coordinator and humanitarian coordinator for Libya, Yakub El-Hilou. Delivery of humanitarian assistance can also be susceptible and open to manipulation and in unstructured environments, conflict environments and such as the one we have in Libya, sticking to the principles is actually the safest way, not just to ensure access and delivery, but also to uh, ensure the safety, security and physical integrity of humanitarian workers themselves. Sometimes it's more difficult to apply it so squarely. And this is where you have to, uh, in my view, in these unstructured environments, Without compromising the principles, you also have to be pragmatic and practical and explain those principles to your interlocutors because otherwise they will be perceived as alien concepts, foreign, imported, mainly from the West, that you want to impose on our society. So you have to use a lot of persuasion and a lot of explaining and sometimes even citing or uh, referring to cultural uh, values in uh, the community to show that these principles that may appear as having come from abroad are actually very much enshrined in practices over the centuries in the very societies 
where we are trying to reach and deliver. Part 5, Somalia. To Somalia now, where UN resident and humanitarian coordinator Adam Abdelmula has multiple big problems to deal with. His challenges include helping the authorities cope with mass displacement from the countryside to the capital, Mogadishu, armed conflict driven by climate change, repeated floods and drought, deforestation and COVID. Here's Adam's take on how he has pushed humanitarian projects forward in the difficult context that is Somalia and the kind of values that have helped him in his work. For instance, in helping to find solutions to the country's internal displacement crisis. People have been crippled. They have become wholly dependent on these humanitarian handouts. Many of them are now born into displacement and they have become parents themselves while living in these IDP camps. And for a country that is aspiring to get out of crisis, this is not sustainable. It also makes these people pray to unscrupulous elements and insurrectionists, as we see them as a fertile recruitment ground for Al-Shabaab and other armed groups. It is a cardinal principle of humanitarian work that you remain accountable to the affected communities. And when we listen to these people, they want us to put in place those solutions that would enable them to exercise normal lives. And what I would share with any future humanitarian coordinator is that if you are unable to listen and have the humility to seriously take into account uh, the views of the most vulnerable, then you are in the wrong business. And don't shy away from talking to anyone in the position of power, whether it's a rebel group or a government official on behalf of the affected people that you are there to serve. In my office, if you look, I have a picture here, and I can show it to you, of a displaced woman who doesn't have anything except a kettle and her child. And when people walk in here and see the picture, they ask me, why is her picture next to the Secretary General's? And I say, because she is the person that the Secretary General hired me to serve. That makes her my second boss. So if you don't approach it from that perspective, you are in the wrong line of business. Dangerous environments and humanitarian emergencies go hand in hand all too often. In northeast Nigeria, where there's been an armed insurgency for years, former humanitarian coordinator and resident coordinator Edward Callan explains how being open with all sides involved in the violence is essential to helping those in need on the ground. Coordination in a terrorist ecosystem is not one of the easiest coordination to manage or to lead, in the sense that it requires a lot of transparency. Transparency on our side as humanitarian actors, and also in our engagement with governments. So one of the challenges I had was around the principles of neutrality and independence. Yeah, those two principles were virtually challenged. And I could remember when high-level government interlocutors were asking me quite difficult questions. Edward, are you telling us to be independent and to be neutral while our country is being more or less taken over by terrorists? You know, it took some time to explain the real intent of those principles, how those principles are unique to us as humanitarian workers and how we use those principles to address issues of vulnerability and to reach those that really need the assistance. The second element that is really critical is how do you engage the stakeholders in such a manner 
that they see themselves as partners in the effort of helping their people rather than, uh, are you trying to tell us that you, uh, you love our people more than us? That is just a call that, listen, man, if you are here to help us, you should be able to work with us through this process. Edward Callan there, the UN's former top aid official in Nigeria, sharing a few trade secrets on the kind of values you need to lead a humanitarian operation today. For more episodes from this series and to see short video profiles of other aid chiefs from Lebanon to the Philippines, just search online for OCHA and Humanitarian Leadership Stories now. Thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>